Hey, it's Arrow. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 54, we kick things off with one of music's best connections, not only to the community, but our passion to dance. Bootsy Collins from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Then we're going to get into the grand mystery of what is and who is actor-comedian Brad Garrett. Our third conversation deals with a subject that we can all relate with, dogs. Brandon McMillan is one of the best in the world. This is PodFest 54. We are unplugged and totally uncut with the legendary Bootsy Collins. Hey, how you doing, man? How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good to be here with you. Well, it's a day of victory for you, sir, because this song, Stars, this is a collection of stars that are coming together to have one of the most powerful messages I've heard in a very long time. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, thanks also to um, Emmy Sunshine. She was 15 years old when we first met, and we haven't met in in person yet. Uh, we were supposed to. Um she was coming up to Cincinnati, Ohio, um, at the, to the Cincinnati uh, Reds Parade, and we were going to be in a parade together. So that was our big deal before the pandemic hit. The pandemic hit, and it changed everything. It was like everything got canceled, um, and it, it, it uh, made me, you know, rearrange or rethink how we could get together and do this song. Uh, called stars and um and so we started to talk and um send back and forth i sent her the track and we was talking about the concept and this that and the other and i had no idea that she could write uh, <laughs> lyrics like she she wrote and when i got it back i was like wow, we, we can really take this somewhere, you know, uh, and not just somewhere. We can take this to the world because the world is at a point now that everybody sees that we need to be together. We need to be talking to each other. And this song just kind of fit that whole thing. And it was like um, I was shocked in a good way. And it just made me feel good. So, I, you know, it made Emmy feel good. It made everybody that feel good that worked on it. And it was like, wow, you know, maybe we need to get this out. And then we had to have a cause. The cause was Music Cares. Um, you know, they, um, they had been taking care of uh, our musician friends and buddies for years, you know. And musicians, they don't get the love that, you know, um, you would think they should get because music is the thing that kind of helps bring us out of these pandemics and tragedies and earthquakes and storms you know where do you go you go straight to the music you know to try to get over it you know so music cares they help musicians um musicians with losing gigs you know uh, festivals is canceled i mean clubs i mean everything and so um we did this song to to help uh, replenish, um, uh, you know, the, the money that they are giving out. And they do it often. They do it all the time. And so, uh, I, you know, I just needed a, uh, uh, I guess, a purpose, a bigger purpose than myself, than just to have an album, you know. Um, and this 
this is the bigger purpose, and this this is what we all have to look at. You know, we got bigger per a bigger person than just ourselves now. Yeah. I, I love the way that you incorporate so many cultures and languages because you really do, Bootsy, really bring the world into this song. So it's not so, you know, it's not like one genre of music. You you incorporate every genre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was definitely the intent. I have always wanted to do that and I have always tried to do it in some form, but you always had people over you saying uh, you can't do that. You know, ain't nobody gonna understand that. Well, at this point, it's like I didn't even care if nobody understood it. It's like it's like this is what we need to do. I mean, you know, it's not a traditional thing. You know, it's not traditional music. You know, and I know all of that. But you know, this is something that can be done. It's the same thing with what's going on with us as people now you know it's like it's not a traditional thing that we all get along but it can be done you know this is this is our the earth is our mothership you know we're flying around in space on the earth you know and you know we're all on it you know so we might as well get used to the fact that you know we all we need each other to plant the seeds, to dig the seeds, to cultivate the seeds, and and get it together and keep growing. I love the way that you bring in power to the people. You don't do it in a way of shouting it. It's it's almost like you're speaking directly into my soul. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wow. That's amazing. I'm, I, you know, that's the first time I heard that. Um, and that's amazing to me because that's what I was intending on doing it it's not a shout it's not like a a, a threat it's it's not none of it. it's actually love you know it's like yeah it's power to the people and we all are the people you know and that to me is the beauty of the whole thing uh if we can ever get over that um i, I call it the p level once we get beyond the p level we good we can start to see you know we get our head up out of the the sheep, you know, we can start to see that everything is good. It's all good. Yeah. How did you get Dr. Cornell involved? Because he puts in a, a very classic touch to it that, that, that when you go back and you watch that video, you will never forget his image on that video. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have been friends for a number of years, um, and we worked on an a, a album back in 2011. So he was always in the back of my mind. Um, to do something and it just happened to be this song came up and he was the first you know it was like the first thing I, I thought of because my friend Chufu who's out of New York he um, he had sent me a, uh, a track that he was doing for the album and he, he had sampled uh, a couple of uh, Dr. West's statements and I said, oh, man, this this would be so cool on the Stars track. And he agreed. And so, you know, um, we extended what, what uh, Dr. West was saying. I got in touch with him, and I, I asked him could he do it. And, you know, he was, like, you know, thrilled. And the next thing you know, you know, we had to do it all um, by phone and email. 
but that's the way we had to do it, you know, because of the pandemic. And um, and we did it. We got it done. It it was a shocker to me because of, just because of the way we had to do it. So now when you were in the studio and the lyrics started coming to life, a better way to take courage to another day, I would have bawled my eyes out. Did you keep it together? <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll, in my bootsy kind of way, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, how can you keep it together, man? That's, you know, that's, I mean, it's, and for me, you know, it's like, like I was saying, this, this young, she was 15 years old. Okay, and she was acting like a Janis Joplin, you know, um, you know the the hippie child, you know, and she was coming up with these these lyrics and you know it's stuff you wouldn't imagine coming out of, out of a youngster, you know, and and not only um, you know the lyrics, she you know she felt what she was saying, you know you could tell that in the song, you know, um, and so all of that is bigger than us as individuals and to me when you put them all together that the song shows you when you put it all together then it starts to make sense it and then it lets you know it can be done well congratulations on stars this really is a moment of equal love which means we can all grow in peace this really is one of those pieces of music Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. That means so much. I mean, Emmy, Emmy is going to, oh, man, she's going to love it. She's going to love it. Yeah. And it'll be on the album as well. Please come back to the show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, Bootsy. Oh, thank you so much. All right. And be safe, too. You, you be brilliant today. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Play It Forward. You can hear other conversations just like this on three different platforms. Like It's Live, Unplugged and Totally Uncut, and View from the Writing Instrument, all found on every digital platform. We are Unplugged and Totally Uncuts with comedian-actor Brad Garretts. Arrow, arrow, arrow. <laughs> hey, we've got something in common, mister. Uh, your balls? <laughs> How low are they, buddy? Have they hit the toilet brine? Have they hit the toilet brine? God, you're the only one that would bring that up because you know what? It's so true, isn't it? This, this well, is. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Hey, uh, you toured with Julio Iglesias, and Janie Kluwer was one of the background singers. I love her. I slept with her. Did she you? Was amazing. <laughs> like butter, butter. <laughs> no, I love Jamie. You know, I took a couple runs at it. I'm not going to lie to you. And you know, if you look at her and you look at me, you don't have to be a scientist to figure. I have no shot. But I tried, and those are the days when I drank. So you know, we all took a run at Jamie, and about five of us won. But uh, give her my love. Seriously, she's. So talented and very sweet and you know we, we know she had a great time with julio and i know a lot of and, and to be out there on the road with and, and traveling with the country with, with julio that really introduced you to somebody beyond star search didn't it it put you in a whole completely different realm oh it, it it put me in front of thousands and thousands of non-speaking people <laughs> they just there was no language they were just uh, they actually at one point uh, you, you see he was such a huge star, Julio. When I was touring with him, I, I didn't know that he, he sang in nine languages except English. So, you know, I would get out there and, you know, every night I would I would die miserably most of the time uh, because, you know, they're... 
they're from Portugal or from, you know, Tibet or wherever. And I, I do, you know, so I, I went up to the road manager. I said, I'm having some rough shows up here. And he says, Julio's audience do not speak English. And I said, well, then why, why, why do you have a comedian opening for him? And they were, because Julio likes to laugh before going on stage. And I said, oh, good, then maybe, maybe he could walk out there and run around, make it sound like a crowd. So what happened is I learned a lot working a crowd like that. You know, you learn a lot as an opening act because obviously no one wants to see you. And that's where, as a comedian, you hopefully, you know, really get your chops, you know. It was a great experience. And he was so nice to work with. He would, uh, you know, he would let me bring him more towels and drive his car around. Very exciting. <laughs> you had a journey with Sammy Davis Jr. too. And I've, I've been with his daughter. And I'll tell you, the, the, that was a man that was not afraid to share his gift. What did you pick up? Well, he was, uh, there was not more of a kinder, more collaborative, sweetest man in the world. You, you know, growing up, um, th these guys were my idols. You know, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, Tony Bennett. This is the music I was turned on to by my dad. And the first album my father ever gave me was Sammy Davis, uh, uh, Live at the Coconut Grove. And I really was raised on that music. And to just work with him was so unbelievable. And I'll never forget when I told my father I have an opportunity to open for, for Sammy, and I flew my dad out. And it was really full circle because my dad was such a supporter of me and just believed in me and at, at times when I just had no belief in myself. And But Sammy was great. I mean, he would throw a party in every city he opened in, and everybody in, in entertainment would be invited, dancers, singers, musicians, whether he knew you or not. He was just that type of guy. He would take over a hotel. He would take over a movie theater and and show films and he was just uh just an amazing heart the book brad is is amazing and what i have to do is thank Thanks. you for taking the time to to work with future actors because you teach people sitcom acting with the four f's that's it that's how did yeah you read you read I did. Very nice. yes fearless freedom finds funny that's what i learned the most uh from working on raymond or from you know 30 years of stand-up is that uh you have to get to a fearless point uh it's not an attitude as much as it's uh a place where you risk and and i think any artist you know i don't care if you paint or write or direct you have to risk you have to be available to go to these places to try stuff because it's when you push the envelope and it doesn't mean just material-wise, it doesn't mean edge-wise. It means to go to a place creatively where you can just find yourself. And it took me a long, long time. You know, my stand-up when I started off was very different than the stand-up I do today. And it, it's because it took me a, a long time to find out my voice on the um, uh, stage. And until I did that, uh, and became kind of fearless to risk, to bomb, to have a bad night, to learn, whatever, is, you know, how I found my voice. Well, I want to thank you for this book and thank you for your time today. And let's get you on a tour with Enrique Iglesias now. I would love that. <laughs> I am too old, but I would love to do that. I knew him when he was four, so oh that would have been God. cool. That would have been cool. Have a brilliant day today, sir. Thanks, Arrow. Plugged and totally uncut with Brandon McMillan, celebrity dog trainer and Emmy Award winning star of the CBS show Lucky Dogs. You are a lucky dog. Dude, do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, yeah, dogs like me? <laughs> it depends on uh, how the day was, because sometimes uh, after I'm finished training, <laughs> I can't say they love me. <laughs> Aren't they spoiled little snots, though, those dogs sometimes? 
What's that? Aren't dogs spoiled little snots sometimes? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's kind of the key of dog training. You gotta yeah, you gotta break them out of their uh, out of their element they're they're used to that bad behavior of conditioning that they're completely used to, and say, listen, these are the rules of your specific home. And uh, you're going to follow them. So let's let's get started. You know, one. when when you talk about the the rules of the home and stuff like that, one of the things that I've always wondered: Do dogs know their names, or is it because they know where they are and, and what their place is? Oh, they absolutely know. But, um, <clears throat> I believe it or not, I mean, I have to when I rescue shelter dogs. Most likely, they don't come with a name. They uh, they were found as a stray on the street, so I have to not only give them new names but teach them a new name in, in a very short amount of time and the beauty of dogs I mean believe it or not you can you can change their name on a weekly basis believe it or not because uh, you know a lot of times I'll rescue I'll rescue a dog from the shelter with one name and then I'll instantly change it to another name that I like and then when I give it to a family they'll change it to another name they like and so <laughs> within a few weeks the dog's understanding whatever so hey, you can you can call that na- that dog whatever name you want he's going to respond as long as you got a treat in your hand that's that's so cool the way you say that because I have a rescue inside I, she comes into the studio with me every morning she's a Chinese crested that we literally had to jump the fence to save because they were going to put her down because her ears bent and I said that's just not going to happen and, and so but when she's snoring her name is Snort when she's an angel she's an angel how now? I, I've I've rescued seven dogs. You, both of us know what what that journey is like. Why is it that that they are so much more faithful to to the human being when they've been rescued? Well, probably probably because they know exactly uh, what happened. Um, dogs are a lot like humans as far as as far as their emotions, how they learn, um, and they, they understand the situations um, they've been in and what situation they're currently in. So. I've seen accounts of countless times where you, know, you rescue a, you rescue a dog from the shelter and, and you just see it in their eyes. They know exactly what happened. They know the situation uh, they were in is now over, and that's that's our job to uh, create a new path for them and show them that the world is not a bad place. Now, that's, pe- why they're, that's why they're so appreciative. People need to know that you're not just on CBS with Lucky Dogs, but you also have this incredible book. Where what, what I love about it is that I can go back and I read it and read it and read it and get better at being a, a, a teacher rather than a student all the time. Exactly. I, I really made sure that when I wrote this book, I, I kept the reader in mind. Um, I know that most readers who buy this book, they're they're frustrated. They're um, they're a lot of them are out there with them with uh, training their own dog, and so I had to make sure that I was sensitive to the reader um, of their frustration and not put these techniques in there that are so advanced. I could have easily done these these advanced techniques that only the the advanced dog trainers could understand, but I had to keep in mind that the readers most likely they're going to only understand the most simple techniques and methods. So that's what I really, I stress in the book. These techniques are probably some of the most simple techniques you you can do on your dog. And not only the fact that um, I did variations of just about every command in there. So so if the, this down command didn't work for you the way I teach this down, let's do a variation. Let's try this way. And if that doesn't work, here's another variation. So I, I made sure there's the two or three ways for just about every command in there that you can do on your dog. And if one way doesn't work, guaranteed, there's another way that, it, that will work. And, and you totally break it down, too. because and, and what's so funny is that as I was reading it, it's like, I, this guy is so in touch with the Twitter generation because it's paragraphs and you give us techniques, technique one, step one. And you really make it so simple for us to, to do exactly what you're asking us to do. Exactly. Well, that's the secret to dog training. Um, 
What I've noticed in the past, you know, 10, 15 years with a lot of dog training books is the dog trainers that write it, they want to make themselves come off like they're they're a god to the dog. And that's um that's not gonna work for the reader. The reader is not a is not a god to their dogs. The reader is a frustrated owner that is trying to just teach their dog a fit. I wrote this book with basically as I'm just I'm just like you. I'm just a normal guy, but I've but I have been trained these techniques since you know I was a kid, and I'm just going to show you the techniques that I learned as, as a normal human being, just like you. And so these techniques they're they're simple, and the reason why they're simple is because you know I come from the film industry. We have to make them simple. Training dogs for the movies, believe it or not. We have to we have to uh, execute the most simple techniques on our dogs because we have to um, we have to get from point A to point B in the shortest time. And, and believe it or not, simple is always better when it comes to dog training. Well, well, don't, don't dogs understand simple? I mean, they're like the kings of it, aren't they? Our dogs what? Dis- the dogs understand simple. I mean, that it's like quit giving me the paragraph, dude. Just tell me what do you want? Well, exactly. Dogs are simple animals, you know. Um, I'm hungry, I'm horny, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Pretty much a dog. <laughs> so, training them, training them shouldn't be any different. Speaking of horny, do you not think that we are mixing too many dog breeds together, or do you think that's healthy that we're doing that? Well, I mean, the reality is we're not. Most, uh, most of the mixing out there is not done by uh, us directly. I mean, most of the mixing out there is, is from lack of spay and neutering. Um, and this is where you know you have a lot of a lot of strays on the street. That this is where a lot of the mixes come from. Because the reality is, breeders they don't they can't make any money uh, off of a mix, or at least a mix that we don't know what it is. Breeders make money off a pure golden or a pure shepherd, and so um, a lot of these mixes you see in the shelters are from strays. And of course, strays they're not spayed or neutered. So if you don't spay or neuter your dog and it gets out of the out of the house. Um, now you've probably created uh, several thousand uh, puppies yep. in a short amount of time because that male is going to find every female he can in you know in a few days. <laughs> and it seems like every time there's a movie that comes out with a with a very uh, popular pet in it, then then people have got to rush out there. You know, the Dalmatian was definitely a part of that. One one of the things, especially with the Dalmatian, they're very high energy. People, how do they get control of that with a pet, or is it something that they they got to do their homework first? Well, yeah, Dalmatians are, uh, they're known for their energy. In fact, I, I cover this in the book extensively. I talk about, I talk about, uh, you know, I, I talk about the variables of breed, like how do we train a dog? And so I really, I try to stress the fact that you have to take the dog's breed. No, no breed is a fluke. Every breed out there was bred for a specific job or purpose hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. And so we take their breed and we say, okay, this dog is known for their high energy. And then we take their their history of what we know of that particular dog in their lifetime. So we say, okay, this dog was, I know it was abused and it was, was neglected. So that's my other game plan that I train. This, this all affects their personality. And so I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of techniques that I that I uh, that I uh, show in the book about how to train a certain breed type or a certain personality type. So in other words, dog training is just not all okay. Well, this is how we teach it down to any breed or any dog. No, this breed is a high energy breed, and this this uh, your particular dog was abused. So we're going to try this technique for that combination. 
Yeah, I ran into that problem when I first got a Chinese Crested where the vet goes, oh, I've never seen one of these dogs before. I'm not sure I want to be at this vet then. Because I mean, they, because I had to learn how to take care of the skin of the dog. And, and that's got to be something that you've got to deal with as well as learning what what is with the fur. Yeah, well, I mean, if everybody wants, everybody would love a dog with a lot of fur that never sheds. That's the uh, the perfect dog. <laughs> <laughs> let, me know, let me know when that dog comes out. So I, I actually, if they do have them. That's called the poodle, but that's pretty much. <laughs> the I once had a, ch- I mean, a uh, Alaskan Malamute that went through my front door. They, I, I hear dogs barking all the time, especially. Uh, th- there's a lot. Of, I even see Dobermans that are that are still a little bit rough these days. How do you get a dog to understand that I'm coming back? I'm co- you don't have to freak out. I'm coming back home very soon. Well, when you're. What you're what you're labeling is uh, is called separation anxiety, right. and separation anxiety is it's um it's it's very common with a lot of dogs, but I find it extremely common with uh, a lot of shelter dogs. And the reason why is because shelter dogs they were abandoned once, yep, and the fear of abandonment sits deep inside their inside their uh, their personality, and so that that's where their their separation anxiety roots from. So. Um, uh, there actually, I, I wrote a chapter in there about separation anxiety, how to deal with it. Now, I will say this: it's definitely not a seven-day project, but I have a lot of techniques and methods to deal with separation anxiety. And if you read the book, you'll see that um, there's a lot of things that I've done in the past that have worked on a lot of dogs. And so, the best way to the best way to do it is is you know. Just, Buy the book, read it, and you'll see that there's a good chance that that chapter will work on your dog because I have several methods in there how to deal with separation anxiety. People see you on CBS with Lucky Dogs, and they see that you can that you, with the rescuing and stuff, which is very inspiring. But they they want their dog to be instantly changed. That that's what your book is for. And and how is it that you were able to put this book together like this in in the way that it was giving rather than taking? Well, I mean, I. Like I said before, I made sure I kept the reader in mind. Um, what I've what I've noticed with a, a lot of dog training books is that the dog trainers they have um, they they want to they want to make themselves sound like a god, and I, I have to I had to make sure that the the reader who's reading this book they they understand that I'm just like them. You know, I want them to understand that you know, look, I'm the frustrated owner sometimes with my you know with my dog that I'm training, and I have. You know, I have several techniques to deal with this frustration, okay? I can't get this dog to go down or I can't get it to stop barking. So I've got one, two, three, four, five methods in this one chapter, you know, how to deal with that. And so I wanted the reader to really take away the simplicity of, of my techniques. And that, that, that's what you're going to get out of this book. You're going to get the, the simplicity of, of training just about any dog. So you're, once you get it, your your problems at home with your dog will basically be solved. Can we be over-compassionate? And the reason why I say that is because... It, when when Sophia does something wrong, I don't yell at her. I go over and I, I just I'm compassionate. And I sit there and I go, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. That that can't be a good command, is it? Well, no. I mean, I always say be fair with your dog. You know, you got to you have to reward a good behavior and you have to reprimand and correct bad behavior. You know, there's a way, of course, to, to, uh, to correct. Force is never force is never recommended. And um, you have to be fair. In other words, you know, if you have a kid at school that constantly gets gets uh, straight F's. What are you going to do? You're going to reward him, or are you going to say, "Okay, now you have to be, you have to, you know, learn a lesson here. You have to be reprimanded in some way, shape, or form." And so that's what I stress in the book constantly. There's there's a fair balance between 
rewarding good behavior and correcting reprimanding bad behavior. You know, with with the way you write, I'm I'm shocked that you haven't done a novel of some sort because you're so one on one with your style of writing. Yeah, well, you know, honestly, the novel might come next. I um, yeah, believe it or not, this book when I wrote it, it was only supposed to be uh, originally it was only supposed to be about two hundred, two hundred twenty pages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it ended up being three hundred and thirty, three hundred forty. And I honestly, when it was all said and done, I could have made this book triple that because. When I, whenever they, whenever I first wrote it, I was like, "Man, how am I going to get 200 pages?" <laughs> now, when I look back at it, I'm like, "Man, I missed so much out of that book. I left this out. I left that out. You know, obviously, I couldn't make the book 3,000 pages, but, but I could, I could write a novel if I really wanted to, and I could, I could definitely write it about, uh, um, you know, about my 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 personal life, about like you know, growing up with animals and stuff like that. More like a memoir, book." So do, do you I've, I've always wondered this Because I'm such a dog person Are they our teacher Or are we their teacher And did they come before us And you know what I mean What came first The chicken or the egg I believe that we're either Becoming dogs Or they're becoming us That was a well, weird question Wasn't it No 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 I understand exactly What you're saying Listen we're, It's both It's both Of course we're their teacher When it comes to uh, Teaching them how to live in, in our domesticated world But what I find time and again, especially when I, you know, when I train dogs for, because I train service dogs for disabled veterans, and the thing I hear time and again, because I train these dogs to assist these veterans in physical tasks. So these veterans maybe have stepped on IEDs and they're missing limbs, and the dogs help them, you know, pick things up off the ground, pull their wheelchair. They can help with support and bracing and balance. But the veterans, you know, when they talk to me a year later after having the dog, they say, you know what, man, all that physical task. It means nothing because the emotional support this dog gives me. Coming home after a bad day, this dog is always there for me. Yep. My girlfriend left me. My friends don't want to hang out with me. I'm fighting with my family. The dog will never be too busy, too drunk, too angry at you to, to hang out with you. And so that's where humans learn a lot from animals because animals can teach us more than, than, uh, than we know because animals have much more compassion than, than humans. I, I got to tell you, one of the most invisible positives about your book, Lucky Dog Lessons, is that you have 324 pages about training the dog and then it says about the author dude you didn't even put yourself first in this book you put those dogs first yeah well like I said hopefully in a perfect world that'll be my next book talking about my life uh, you know as a, as a kid growing up in this stuff and the, the things that I that I saw and the things that I learned and the, and the lessons that I learned about animals how um you know why? Why I got more into animals as time went on, and, and less. You know, I worked more with animals and less with humans. Right. Because I learned more from animals than than I ever learned from humans. So that's exactly what you know. The subject we were talking about a few a minute ago. You know, I I learned more about the world. You know how it works from animals because I make the correlation between humans. You know they'll. They'll, uh, they'll lie right to your face. Animals don't have that ability. Right. They don't understand lying. They understand survival. They understand, you know, just basic uh, unconditional love. And it, it, I swear, if, if, if humans, uh, you know, took uh, the, the, the leadership of dogs, this would be a beautiful world. It's, it's almost like you're the dog preacher, dude. Well, I mean, like I said, if, if everyone just you learned a little bit every day from a dog, uh, I think this world would be a much more calm, peaceful place.